That's great. Now just look toward that person again and just mouth the words, will you take me to lunch? (laughs) So this guy gets off a ferry that has come from Denmark and going into Norway. The customs agents become highly suspicious, and this is why. Under arrest, a would-be smuggler tries to sneak into Norway with dozens of snakes and lizards strapped to his body. The 22-year-old had 24 royal pythons hidden in socks that were duct taped to his chest. He was apprehended on a ferry from Denmark. Ten albino leopard geckos were also found in boxes that were taped to his arms and thighs. Border control officials decided to strip search the man after they found a tarantula in his luggage, and that's when they found all the reptiles. The suspect claimed he wanted to keep the animals as pets for himself, but police suspect he was planning on selling them illegally. Can we just do a collective shiver? (laughs) So they find a tarantula in his luggage, and probably, I guess in Norway, they're not probably native. So one of the customs agents, she didn't report this, one of the customs agents becomes highly suspicious because, now catch this, the guy is standing still, but his upper torso is moving. So they strip him down and they find what does not belong. That's what we're going to do for the next four weeks. We're going to discover what it is we've attached to ourselves that should not be there. So I want you to stand and I want you to link arms with somebody next to you. Link arms. And someone saying, swine flu, swine flu, swine flu, swine flu. That's, that's, you're all right. <laughs> Don't be coughing. Okay, now just kind of sway back and forth. Okay, stop. You're hurting each other. Okay, stay, stay linked, because here's what I want to tell you. In these next four weeks... Although I'll be speaking to you individually, I want you to understand this this conversation deals with us corporately, linked together. Jesus called us the church. Paul the Apostle called us the body. And so what the body says and how the body says it and what the body does and how the body does it and how this body responds to their creator and how they treat each other is supposed to reflect and look just like Jesus the Messiah. And so as I speak about that in these next weeks, we're talking about how we do that collectively, although I want to talk to you as an individual also because you see how you treat other people individually. What you say, how you say it. What you do, how you do it. How you respond to the Creator and how you treat each other. Others will watch you and they will say to you, if that's how you are, it must be how all those other people are they're connected to. And if it's how those, all those other people are, it must be how their God is. So the question is, do we look like the body 
of Jesus the Messiah. And I'm not sure we're doing such a great job. Go ahead and be seated. On September 22nd of this year, USA Today reported this, that 15% of all Americans are nuns. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking of these type of nuns. That's not the nuns I'm talking about. The nuns I'm talking about look like this. You see, as you look at that picture, 22% of Americans age 8 to 29 are nuns. Within 20 years, one out of every four Americans will be nuns. What a nun is this? It's when you ask that person, what religion do you belong to? They say, none. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah, good, huh? It's not that they're atheists. Over 50% of those who say they are none believe in a higher power or a god. But could it be that us as a collective group, the body of Christ, the church, have attached to ourselves stuff that does not belong? That when they look at us, they go, well, that just doesn't look natural. That, that just doesn't, it, it raises suspicion. Could it be that when we actually strip away the stuff that covers us, we see those things attached that we thought had value, and Jesus looks at us and he says, that doesn't look like my body at all. For the last six months, I've been praying and asking God, what do you want to say to this church for the next five years? Because the last three or four years, we focused on impacting the city. And I felt like God said, you've got to, kill, you've got to still keep impacting the city, but I'm going to show you how to do it in a better way. And I believe that he said for these next years, what he wants to do is strip away everything that does not look like him. So in these next four weeks, I want to tell you what I think that looks like. And it begins with this. How we treat each other is a big deal. It's not about buildings. It, it's not about a stage being set for a musical. It's not a program. It, it, it's, it's, it's not a, a building called the Summit for Youth. It's, it's not 42 acres that we sit on and, and right next to the highways. It's none of that stuff. How we treat each other is how we treat God. Several years ago, when our children were very young, I came home from the office. Pam was home and had the kids all day, and so I came in the door and I grabbed all three of them and I began wrestling with them and doing what we affectionately called buckaroti, which is they get on my back and I buck them off. Now, we do that until either I hurt them or I get exhausted. So we were going through the process and finally I said, Dad's had enough, I can't breathe. And, and while we were doing this, I looked out of the corner of my eye and Pam was standing over watching and just smiling. Just big smile. So I got up, and I'm just all covered with sweat and whatever else the kids were oozing on me at that moment. <laughs> and she walked over and gave me just a wonderful look that just melted me. And then she gave me this really fat, juicy kiss. 
And then she looked me back in the eyes and she said, I love it when you love my kids. I said, I'll love them some more. (laughs) Wait a minute. So hear me. That nasty neighbor, that lesbian that you've been arguing with on religious issues, that politician that you detest because he believes in women's rights to abortion, that, that girlfriend of yours that you have uttered the B word about in the last couple of weeks because she convinced all your friends to turn from you, They're his kids. You gotta hear him say, I love it when you love my kids. How we treat each other makes an incredible difference. It's all tied together. All this, you being here today, it's all tied up in in love agreements. The Holy Scriptures call them covenants. And there are these series of covenants that we must understand if we're going to understand God and how we relate to God and what our future is. So God comes to this one man who he loves deeply and he says, I'm going to make an entire nation out of you. And even though you're old as dirt and you can't have kids, you're going to have kids. You're going to have a kid and, and, and that kid's going to become a nation. And then I'm going to bless the world through that nation. It's my covenant love agreement with you. I'm going to reconstruct this messed up world. And so that happens. And that's the agreement. Now, that nation did not actually become national until it had become oppressed by an Egyptian dynasty. And the nation of Israel found itself feeling oppression. Violence, poverty, enslavement. So they cried out to the one that had told them that they would be a blessing to the world. And here's what happened. It's found in Exodus, the third chapter, the seventh verse. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out, and just circle that word crying, I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. That word crying is a word that means to exclaim pain. It's the the sound you make when you're wounded. It's it's, owie, 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 owie. It's just, oh, it hurts. He hears that. But not only is it the sound of pain, but with it, there always travels a question. And the question is this, in the sound of pain, the question is, where is my justice? Who hears me? Who sees what I'm going through? Am I all alone? Who has power to rescue me? And the Creator says, I hear you. And I am the one who will rescue you. And so he sends one whose name is Moses. And he rescues them because you see, you can't be a nation unless you're rescued. 
See, a nation needs three elements. I want us to look at those and understand how it applies to you and me. The first is that he needs a people. The first element is a people. You you can't have a nation without people. And in this context, it's God's body for a specific purpose. God said, "There's, there's a reason that I need something done, and you are the people I've chosen to do that and to accomplish that. And so he says this, Exodus 19, verse 3. As Moses went up to meet God, God called down to him from the mountain, Speak to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. And if you'll listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant, out of all the peoples you'll be my special treasure. The whole earth is mine to choose from, but you're special. You're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God says... You had no way out. You were trapped, and there is no rescue for you, except I came to you, and I put you, as it were, on eagle's wings, and I helped you soar out of there because of this one particular reason. I wanted you to be with me. God wants his kids to be with him. That's his design. That's all the Bible deals with is God and us getting back together again. That's what it is. He says, so when I pull you close to me, you who I have called my special treasure... I'm going to make you, as my people, a kingdom of priests. That word priest, it means one who mediates. It means one who stands between divine and secular, divine and human. If you watch the priest, then you know what his God is like. If you watch the priest, how he talks to people, that's how God speaks to those people. If you watch what he does, that's how what God does for those people. You watch him as he treats people, that's what his God is like. So those priests represent who that God is, who he cares for, and how he cares for them. And so God says to these people, I invite you to be my representatives, to express to this world who I am as my Nation of priests. See, God needs a body, so he makes one. He says, and you're it. So you've got this body, but you need something more than a body. Secondly, you also need a government. And the government is how the people treat God and how they treat each other. He said, you're going to be a holy nation. So I want you to go back with me to the very beginning, the book of Genesis, just to the story back there, because they're dealing with an unholy world. It starts when one brother kills another, and it unleashes the evil genie. Evil takes off and penetrates all of the earth so severely that the time comes that God eradicates all of the evil on earth and saves for himself one family to start again. But evil unchecked will morph a society or a culture into an entity that oppresses, that hurts, that hoards, that enslaves. And oh, how Israel understood that. For they had been in Egypt and they knew that pain. God says, I'm going to take you as a kingdom of priests and now a holy nation And you're going to be anti-Egypt. 
you're going to be diametrically opposed to what they stood for. You're going to take the kingdom of God on this earth and say, here on this earth, this is what it looks like when God rules and reigns. And it is totally the opposite of what you experienced in Egypt. Author Rob Bell says it this way, God wants a new people, not shaped by greed, violence, and abuse of power, but by compassion and justice and care for one's neighbor. He said, you're going to be anti-Egypt. So God creates this another covenant, this new covenant. It's an extension of this Abrahamic covenant. It's now a Mosaic covenant. And he says, here's what we will do. I will show you how to treat each other, and this is how the kingdom of God functions here. And this is how you will treat each other, and this is how you will treat God. And so Moses comes down the mountain with those descriptions of how we will treat each other. We call it the law. God calls it being human. He said, I want to establish in this world a place where no one has to cry out. It's the Hebrew word, say, ach. I don't want you crying out because there is injustice, because there is slavery, because there is punishment, because there is pain. I wanted to be free from that because you live the way that I've asked you to live. You are my people with this government. And thirdly, you're going to need a homeland. This is the place that emanates the king. So God takes them and places them in a land that he calls their own. And in time, he gives them a king. The king's name is David. And he makes this further covenant promise with David. He says, now, I told you that there would come one who would lead you. There would be this Messiah that would come, and he's going to come out of you. He's the one who's going to bless the world. So I'm going to give to you, out of your throne, this one who will rule the world. Now, let your worship Declare who he is already with you, although you don't physically see him. His presence is here. Let your worship gain in its strength, gain in its fervor, gain in, in, in its passion. And I will expose him now, even though you can't see him in the physical realm. And so their worship increases. You read the book of Psalms, you see this ex- incredible expression of worship. In fact, as the worship expanded, so did their boundaries. And so did their possessions. He said, that's great. God wants them to have good stuff. Well, understand why God gave them those possessions. Those possessions were to be used to reveal God's compassion, God's justice, and how we treat our neighbors. He did that in such a good manner that he he passed it on to his son. His name is King Solomon. And when King Solomon saw how his dad had operated and what God had called him to do, he said, God, I need help. And God said, what do you want? He said, give me wisdom because I don't know how to do this on my own. So he has wisdom now to rule in that same manner. He has a visitor. The Queen of Sheba comes and she declares the very thing that God wanted to be. And here's what the book of Kings tells us. She says, 1 Kings 10, verse 9, Praise the Lord your God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of all the Lord's internal love for Israel, he has made you king so that you can rule with, circle it, justice and righteousness. She said, God has given you this rulership because you will now rule with justice, which means that you will help people treat each other correctly. And if they don't, you'll straighten them out. 
And you will rule with righteousness, which means this nation will look just like God. When people see it, they go, oh, that's Jehovah God. So now we run into a problem. Somewhere in all of that, David's son Solomon takes a turn the wrong direction. What was anti-Egypt no longer is anti-Egypt. What once was a kingdom of priests is no longer a kingdom of priests. You say, but wait, 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 wait. We know about Solomon. And then the great thing is that he established this wonderful temple, this incredible temple, this beautiful temple of Solomon where the presence of the Almighty came down and they couldn't even get in there because of the Shekinah glory of God. It was great worship. Please listen that even though the worship there and the presence of God is felt, something was wrong. Because that temple was built with slave labor. The oppressed had become the oppressor. And you say, but God blessed him. He gave him all these goods and he built this, this wonderful palace. No one had seen a palace like this ever before. It was built on the suffering of other people. Was his focus there on the widows and the orphans? No, in fact, it was the opposite. Much of their wealth came by the trading of weapons of mass destruction. They would build chariots and gather horses and trade them with other evil nations around them so they could gain the income. It wasn't the orphans that they were concerned about. It was the money they gained by their own violence. And his covenant with God, Solomon had 700 wives, 300 mistresses. I don't think he was wise at that point. And he followed the gods of his wives. So what do you do if your body doesn't look like your body? You see, he had this agreement with Abraham, and he's going to finish it because Abraham did what he's supposed to do. He will bless this world through a nation. And David did what he's supposed to do, so there will come a Messiah from the, the root of Jesse, from this, this king of, of Israel. And he will, he will have a nation that is a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But he said, you all won't be in it. Oh, I'll get it, but you've got to choose to be there. See, simply this, God's blessings are not entitlements, and his body cannot justify injustice. God refuses religion that legitimizes indifference and worship that inspires indulgence. We cannot worship God and love him and hoard while others suffer and be his people. We cannot say that we have this connection with God and we are a Christian nation and we, we love Jesus when we turn a deaf ear to those who suffer and not do anything for them because it is not godly. So what do you do when your body doesn't look like you? You don't claim it. And so God backs off. He strips away their artificial worship and their selfish gain. 
And he says, if you want to be a member of the club that oppresses, you're a member. But understand, when you're in that club, one day you too will then be oppressed. And the time comes that they are oppressed once again. And they feel slavery. They feel poverty. They feel violence. But see, God still has a promise. He said, I will get a people. He says, this time I'm going to send to you one who will show you how to do this. So he says, I'm going to send to you. And through the prophet, he declares, there is one who's coming who is going to be a shepherd. And he's going to show you how you are to live this life. And so Ezekiel declares this in Ezekiel 34. And this is where God has brought me for this church for this time. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. I will make a covenant of peace and circle that covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. I will bless them and, and the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing and the trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops and the people will be secure in their land. And they will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who have enslaved them. Now, if you just think you've been listening to a history lesson, hang on here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shows up on this earth and he makes this incredible statement. I am the good shepherd. And they know. Ezekiel 34. The Messiah is here. And it's a new covenant. Oh yeah, you see, the one that Abraham had with him is coming past, it's coming due. And the one with Moses where there's going to be a nation, he's getting ready to make that nation. And the one with David that he's going to come from the throne of David, here he is. And now, here's what, what he says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. Jeremiah described it as I'm going to take that Mosaic law and I'm going to place it right on your heart and you're going to do what's really right. And, and in fact, Jesus brings it down to this. You'll love God with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself. And later Jesus says that means you love them like I love you. And we will call this, he said, a covenant of peace. A covenant of shalom. Say that, shalom. His body would be a body of peace. Who is his body today? It's you. He said you would be a body of peace. Peter declares that because he says this in, in 1 Peter 2 about you here today. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Okay, so let me just ask you again, quiz time. Who's the church? Then, if the church is the body, who's the body? Well, we don't want to go there because we're going to get in trouble now. You are the body. We are the body. And if we're the body, we are a body of shalom. We are a body of peace. We live out who God is and what he does in front of people in Erie, Pennsylvania. And when they look at us, they go, oh, that's your God. That's what he looks like. So... Let me meddle now. We are to be a body of shalom. 
So if we imply to people that they can come be part of our community and our body, if they match up to a dress code or a, or a, a way of living or they have to look a certain way, if we put any obstacles in front of them, are we not guilty of oppression? If we have possessions and somebody in this city is hungry and we don't do something to help them, are we not guilty of hoarding? If we do not forgive, are we not guilty of enslavement? If I talk against another brother or sister or somebody outside the family, the body of Christ but I gossip against them? Have I not joined in an, in an expression of violence? If I hide behind the walls of this sanctuary and exhaust myself in doing a lot of programs, am I still a priest? And if I do not drop all my comfort to rescue the one crying out, am I still a holy nation? I'm going to ask Kelly to join me on stage. Kelly, come on up. And I'm putting her in a very uncomfortable spot, and reluctantly she's going to let me interview her. This is Kelly Smith, and and Pam and I met Kelly, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven weeks ago. So you've been in Erie for how long? Just hold that right up there. Uh, since August 1st. Since August 1st. You're coming from where? Uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. You've been to school and you have a, a, a what kind of a degree? Um, I graduated from Millersville University. It's a state college uh, with a triple major in geography, international studies, and foreign relations. Okay. So you've come here now to this city with an agency. Mm-hmm. I happen to know that your coming here has put you voluntarily in a place where you earn about $2,000 less than the poverty level. I asked you some tough questions and I asked you, are there days that you go without food? Yes, often. your car needs oil, what do you do? I fill the oil. You, well, I mean, it, it needs to be changed. What do you do? Um, I have a jack. And, and you, you change I'm, it? I'm learning. <laughs> your car has a sensor right now that's going, that's wrong. What, what, right, what, what, right. what is it? It's the oxygen sensor. And Hold so, that up closer if you want. Oh. It's the oxygen sensor, and um, I'm told that it needs cleaning. So I'm trying to figure out how to jack up my car and get into it, but it's kind of up there and around. So, so you've tried to get to it, you just can't get to it. I, I can't. So your car still needs oxygen. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're here in Erie to work with some folks. Who are you working with? I work with refugees. They're uh, mainly political and religious refugees who have been kicked out of their country, um, sometimes seeing systematic genocide, seeing their children shot, been beaten, um, 
a lot of them have been been uh, killed and it, um, they come here through the State Department so I work to try and give them a better life try and give them an apartment uh, food supplies what kind of condition do you normally find them and you were telling us the other night you had some folks you went to see and the house was not in real good condition what kind of condition do you normally find them in when you well uh, it depends on the nation group um, some of them like the Iraqi people they've come from a great life and they've had a lot of things and they've really um, experienced what we in America have experienced but there are some people that have lived in refugee camps for 10 15 20 years and they haven't been allowed to work they really have no possessions so it's it's dependent on um, the group but I was in a situation this week where I placed a family in an apartment and it was infested with cockroaches. They uh, weren't allowed to get food stamps uh, until probably five, six days after we thought they would. So they went without food. A family of seven coming in here, they only had one bag when they came to the airport. They all had one change of clothes and a small picture of a family member. That's it. So you leave uh, a comfortable life, you come here. There are days that you don't have enough money to eat. Mm-hmm. Because you're helping some people who also are hurting. Why do you do that? I could not imagine what some of these people have gone through. There was one family from Iraq that the father was an interpreter with the uh, American Army, and his neighbors found out that he was working with the Americans and um, beat him senseless in front of his children and his wife. So he and his family went to Turkey to get away. They came back to get some clothes for the winter, and they watched their child, their oldest daughter, be killed in a spray of bullets because they got the wrong person. And so they came five months after that fact. They came to America. They were expected to know English, have a job, be able to provide for themselves. Meanwhile, they're suffering from post-traumatic stress. They don't understand American society. And I feel like there are people in America that see them as immigrants that need to adjust right away. But they don't have the skills, they don't have the capacity to do that in a manner that we would expect. So well, I feel like I need you help. You need to help them? Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to say thank you for letting me interview you, and thank you because I believe that in many ways you have represented the unburdened, stripped-down version of the body of Christ, and I want to thank you for that. Thank you. That's shalom. Shalom is characterized by safety from attack, provision for need, and freedom from additional religious loads. That if we're truly shalom, if this group, all of us together, if we're truly shalom, then we are there when people have needs and we say, here, we'll give to you what we have. We are there to to say, we're not going to put more loads on you, but what are you carrying? We're going to help carry with you. 
we are there to say that we're here to protect you because you cannot protect yourself. That's what God said we have to be as his body. We are, we do not do because we are. We are because we do. We don't do things because we're the body of Christ, but because we do things that we do the right way that we do them, then we are the body of Christ. James said that. He said, you show me your faith, I'll show you my works because it's just, I've got to do these things. Shalom is mobile compassion. Wherever it is that I'm needed, I show up no matter what it costs me. And you say, but man, I didn't sign up for that. Oh, yes, you did. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, then you need to take up your cross and follow me, which means you strip off everything else other than that cross and you carry it because that cross is the expression of love to this world, which is I will sacrifice myself to show you God's love. And the problem that we face, and, and I'm going to plead guilty of this because I fell into this trap, in, into this cultural thing we've created as the church in America. It's become rules and regulations, and if you live up to these certain things, and if we do certain church growth things, and then we're going to get a nice church and a nice building and a nice place. And I am so thankful for what we have here and the people who suffered and worked to make it happen. But this building does not mean a thing. And we, we get so uptight about the rules. And if you, if you do this, and, and, if you, and, you, and, and here's the rule, you can have coffee in the lobby, but you can't have coffee in the sanctuary because God can't stand coffee in the sanctuary. And I think to myself, if I'm so uptight about you bringing your coffee in the sanctuary because you may permanently stain the pew, have I even looked into your eyes to see what stain is inside of you that hurts so deeply? In fact, I've got to tell you, I was really tempted to bring a cup of coffee today and pour it on that pew right in front of you and say to you, let that stain stay there forever so that we'll be remembering that it's the people and not the building that matters. <laughs> Don't clap too soon because I'm going to get you. Hang on. If we are shalom, then we have got to be so careful what we say in our arrogance. Because when we get together and we talk about our disgust with people who are, who are pushing gay rights, or we talk to somebody about, you know, those people, if they didn't get themselves in such, such problems with their debt load, if they would just, if they would just follow Jesus, and if, or they're not tithing, and, so, and we, we, we go after people who don't tithe, and if we do that... If we talk about people who don't fit where we are, they're, they're addicted, and those people that go down to the casino and gamble, and, and, and I'm not saying agree with them, I'm just telling you this, that those people are seated around you right now. There are people who are, who are dealing with their sexual identity are seated around you right now. And when they hear me or you or somebody say, what's wrong with those people? They say, that's not shalom. I get attacked there, not embraced there. So we've got to be so careful what we say. Because shalom says, whatever you're struggling with, I'm walking with you. You know, uh, about three weeks ago, I was walking to the grocery store with Pam. She had nabbed me and taken me to the grocery store. So I'm pushing this cart with her. And 
This other person comes across it from another aisle, and we meet at the, at the intersection there, and it's a very beautiful woman pushing a cart, and she's probably about 15 years younger than we are, and she has this gorgeous smile, and she's very beautiful, and she smiles at us and says, Hi, how are you? I said, I'm good. She gets in front of us and is pushing in front of us. And as we're walking, without just missing a beat, Pam goes, boom, right in my chest. (laughs) What she is saying, no words were exchanged. I knew exactly what she was saying. She was saying, I trust you, but I know you're a man. And she is an extremely good-looking woman. So I'm letting you know that I know that you could be thinking these things. And if you're thinking these things, understand, I know you're thinking these things. And you should stop thinking these things. And so I'll walk through life with you from now on so you don't think those things. We don't sit here today saying, hey, when you measure up, you can join us. What we're saying is, I know you're thinking those things. So I'm going to walk with you as you're thinking those things. So together we don't think those things. That's the shalom. We're on a journey together. We are journeying together so that we learn that we have to strip off all the stuff that doesn't belong to God and we collapse in genuineness, collapse into Jesus. I, I want to hear the words from a pastor and an author named Scotty Smith. Now, please, he's going to be so real. He's even going to use the word damn it. And as he uses it, don't judge him, don't send me letters. It's collapsing into Jesus. Let it go. Here what he's, here's what he has to say. What breaks your heart? What breaks my heart is how little I get of the gospel. What breaks my heart is that I, even as someone called to be a steward of the mysteries of Jesus, I believe it and how I'm so filled with unbelief. Uh, what breaks my heart is uh, how poorly I love one woman well to the glory of God. Uh, what breaks my heart is, uh, is to realize the, uh, how easily my heart is tricked into thinking that some other embrace, some other woman, some other job, some other body, some other something uh, will really meet the deepest longings of my heart. Uh, it breaks my heart that I'm still an idolater that uh, functionally I live as an atheist a lot of the time, that even though Jesus has charmed and won my heart with his beauty, I'm still easily seduced. You know, that breaks my heart. breaks my heart that, uh, that I don't uh, freely look someone in the eye and, and love them with a sense of security that I know in Jesus, but I'm still afraid of men. Sometimes it breaks my heart that the gaze of men has more power over my life than the gaze of God that now welcomes me in the embrace that I really want breaks my heart that some mistress is more than enough for what I think I need when Jesus is the spouse I always wanted. breaks my heart is to see how, um, how we live as Gnostics, how we in the American church live out practical Gnosticism that church condemned as a heresy centuries ago, that, that, we, that we turn private into a private spa as opposed to realizing you know, the future of heaven is the absence of all evil and that we are the commissioned ones to live in that story knowing that truly Jesus has won the day. All kind of stuff break my heart. You know, I just, uh, damn it, why'd you have to ask? <laughs> Last question, what's your strategy for love? Mm. Strategy. My strategy for love is not having a strategy for love. 
think my strategy, love, is increasingly learning how to collapse upon Christ, saying, Lord, I'm a moron, I'm a fool, I'm a broken man that has found a home in your heart and uh, love in me, love through me. Uh, I throw down my agendas, my formulas, my uh, manipulations, my mechanizations of trying to make life work. Uh, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Love in me, love through me. Uh, may the kiss of heaven somehow show up in the broken, dark places where you place me. Shalom helps us collapse into Jesus. We're that body. We are the body of Shalom. We are the body that when we gather together, we say to the people, whether it's here in this gathering place or in a home or wherever it may be, we say to them, if you're broken, I'll heal you. If you're, if you're struggling, I'll walk with you. If, if, you, if you don't have enough, I'll give you what I have. If, if you have injustice served against you, I'll protect you. We are the body of Shalom. And so this morning, it's not about what we're going to do in five years. It's about who we are right now. It's about what we look like when we're stripped down. And so I'm going to ask you this morning that you just allow Jesus in these next moments and throughout this week to strip everything off of you and let's see what you're carrying. What's the stuff that doesn't belong? Your, your traditions and, and your, your fears and your anxieties and, and your anger and whatever. What, what is it that's there that needs to be stripped off? So that Jesus looks at us and goes, hey, that's my body. I like that. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask the band to lead us again in some worship, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you stand in just a moment, and then I'm going to ask you to do a couple things, and then you're dismissed to go. I'm going to ask you to just say, Jesus, what needs to be stripped off of me? And then secondly, I'm going to ask you to say to him, today, today, tomorrow, show me where I can be shalom. Show me where I can protect somebody who's having injustice against them. How can I feed somebody who's hungry and I've got so much? Show me, Lord, what I can do to, to help take their load off, unburden them, and not just apply religion on top of them and make them feel even more miserable than they are. Jesus, what can I do to be your body of shalom? Would you stand? And I'm going to pray over you, and then I'm going to ask you to just sit here and or stand here for a few moments and then you're dismissed as you deal with this. Now may you in this place today understand what God has called you to be. May you understand that you are His church, that in every season you are shalom, and that what you do as an individual affects the body, and what we do as a body affects the city. May you hear His voice speak to you directly and rise up to the calling that we are His body the body of Shalom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.